You're listening to the Meditation and Attachment Podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.m-e-t-t-a-g-r-o-u-p.org. So welcome, everybody. This is Meditation and Attachment, DYP, or Deepening Your Practice. It is uh, March 18th, it's 2021, it's 7.35 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And tonight we're going to conclude our compassion cycle. Um, we've been um, uh, going through that in the different stages. I teach in the style of uh, fantastic is happening. There we go. Um, I teach in the style of Uun de Kaseadao, who is a, a Miramar teacher. Um, and he teaches it a little differently than the traditional way um, because he's tailored it toward Western people. And so in the beginning of it, we begin, uh, in the beginning of practice, we start with an easy person so that we can uh, allow the mind state of compassion to arise. The, the um, jhana practice, the high concentration practice, when you use it uh, in relationship to the Brahma-Viharas of the divine abodes, uh, the main uh, focus is on the mind state. Uh, the reason that I like that is because it dovetails so well with the attachment work that we do, uh, the capacity to recognize mind states and how mind states filter the, the way that we perceive uh, conceptual reality. Um, <clears throat> If you had sensitive enough caregivers, when uh, they attuned to you uh, and uh, inquired about what was going on with you, they would have inquired about your mind state and you would have had to learn to track it and then be able to communicate to them what it was that you were experiencing. And then they would uh, perhaps have uh, addressed with you how to regulate or have agency in the kind of mind state that you have. And if you don't have that experience, maybe uh, it's difficult even to detect a mind state or to understand what they are, <clears throat> let alone have agency with them. Um, <clears throat> we often talk about equanimity in the sense that the mind is not obscured by anything, not distorted by anything. And sometimes in, in the Vipassana practices, we can think of uh, the equanimous mind is the as the preferable mindset, and all other mind states in some ways are not as good as that. Um, but when we uh, <clears throat> begin to uh, focus on intentionally developing uh, positive mind states, then we can come to understand that having agency to decline the mind toward positive states can have uh, advantages. Um, it is distorting. It's we're not saying that it isn't distorting, but in the way that it distorts can be useful to you. If you incline the mind toward kindness, say, then uh, it infuses the way that you create conceptual reality. Uh, and uh, then as you form the intention to take the action in response to the conditions of the present moment, you're inclined toward taking more kind action, which can have a, a karmic payoff. Compassion, uh, unlike uh, loving kindness practice, is more focused around the suffering experience of other people. 
And so when you work initially with the easy person or self or uh, close people, friends and family, neutral people, difficult people, you are concentrating and focusing on a specific person. When we open up to practicing uh, compassion for all sentient beings, then it's an expansive uh, practice and we're, we're holding all of sentient beings as one object. Um, one of the things that Desayadaw emphasized over and over in the way that he was teaching this was that we want to be able to expand outward and hold all sentient beings as one object of meditation and never allow the mind to contract around a single individual or a subgroup. And that uh, uh, this has a way of counteracting the, the uh, a tendency of uh, some of us to not be willing to hold some people in that uh, collection of all of us together. Um, I talked about this quite a bit before in uh, the when the focuses were on other aspects of this. What do you do uh, for somebody who commits uh, an action that you find unforgivable? Not that there's an intrinsic action that is unforgivable, but based on your conditioning and your response to what they do, if you hold it as an unforgivable action, um, what do you do with that when you then um, pulling into all sentient beings, you include all sentient beings except for the, the uh, well, half the country, depending on what your point of view is. Out, we're going to divide the country in two, and this, I'm going to do compassion for this half, but not for this half. Uh, uh, We respond to people in different ways. We respond to them based on our own conditioning. Um, and uh, we react to the presentation that they uh, make. Uh, but our interpretation of that, not that there's something intrinsic in any of that. Compassion is an empathetic uh, practice, which means you touch into the experience of everyone Um, when you multiply uh, uh, an individual experience of suffering by all of us together, how do you hold that intensity of suffering? And that's one of the problems that happens when the mind begins to contract around specific uh, instances of suffering in the experience of everyone. Uh, we can easily become overwhelmed by that. I, I remember a story that Shinzen told of driving uh, Sasaki Roshi from the Mount Baldy Zen Center to the Rinzai Zen Center in Los Angeles and how he looked over uh, uh, at uh, um, uh, Roshi and he was, the tears were just streaming out of his eyes. And when Shinzen said, what's wrong? He said, I'm, I'm just looking at all of the people around me and I'm uh, taking in the depth of their suffering. nothing to do about that really. One of the things about this is that we can't, uh, as an individual, solve the suffering of the world. Um, and so we can reflexively then want to just turn away from the experience of it, not attend to it. 
And in doing that, of course, we don't attend to the things that we actually can do to help relieve the suffering because we're simply overwhelmed by the whole experience of it. The Sayadaw said, when you're out in the world walking and you, you want to do compassion practice for all sentient beings, then you hold the whole world. And as you move through the specific place of the world where you're moving through, you don't allow the mind to contract on the people that are around you specifically. You still hold the whole world together. So there's a an, uh, an, um, practice because you may notice that the mind wants to focus on the things uh, in front of it in a way that uh, takes you out of that uh, holding of all of us together. Um, when we were in Myanmar, somebody, um, you know, it's, it's a, there's the, the traditional way of practicing and then there's smart ass Westerners who go there and want to pull up the things that uh, are contradictory. And so somebody raised their hand and said, um, I, I want to include my dog in all sentient beings. And the Sayadaw was quick to admonish that dogs actually in Buddhist canon are not considered sentient. And so they would not be included in it, that it would be human, uh, human birth only. But then we know from Western science that many, many species have sentience in the sense that we think of it, that they have uh, self-awareness. You may um, uh, have heard of this before, but I found it quite interesting. Um, in species that don't have language, how would you uh, track whether or not they have a sense of their own uh, beingness? Um, did you ever have... Uh, parakeets when you were a child and some people had little mirrors that they would put in the cage with the parakeets and the, the dominant parakeets would attack the image in the mirror as if it were a different bird. Um, but uh, they did a study where they put a red dot on the nose of a wide range of beings and then exposed them to a mirror. And some of the, the species would look in the mirror and then just wipe the red dot off their nose and some wouldn't notice that there was a red dot on the image in the mirror, um, which they thought meant that there wasn't sentience there, but there was in, in animal species. Uh, himsa is a Pali word that means um, not harming. So you take on this idea of not harming. In taking in this, the suffering of all of us together and, and all of us in the world and all of the actions that we are uh, generating, we have these, uh, these experiences as a group. Uh, um, we have this pandemic, which is now going through uh, humans, um, and we're attempting to address it in the way that we do that. Um, it's likely that the these pandemics that come through, this is the worst one that we've had uh, recently, um, even though there were several of these uh, that came before this. Um, and this is not, not even a, a bad virus. Uh, you know, it, it kills about, well, in this country, about 3% of people that are infected. 
you know, AIDS uh, in the beginning killed 100 uh, percent. Ebola kills 90 plus percent people who get it. That would be a bad uh, situation if it were as contagious as this is. Um, likely, this is caused. Uh, these recurrent viruses, these situations, are caused by the destruction of the environment, uh, which is leading to climate change. Climate change, uh, in a large part, is caused by uh, uh, factory farming. Um, the industrial farm uh, apparatus uh, is uh, um, unspeakably cruel in the way that it, it cultivates uh, and harvests uh, food for us. One of those, one of the things about this that's so uh, interesting to me that uh, when we, we talk about taking on the suffering of the whole world, uh, and really uh, what we're talking about are the things that each of us can do, uh, stopping eating meat to stop contributing to the, that culture of cruelty is something that each of us could do and yet so few of us are willing to do that because it's uh, inconvenient or, or we would have to renounce the sense pleasure that comes from that. And so how do you hold that uh, experience? If we don't address climate change, of course, the, the, the whole uh, apparatus of food is going to be disrupted by the, by the, the change in climate. That's really what the problem for us is going to be. We have developed this very narrow monoculture uh, uh, of foodstuffs uh, and these cycles of growing that food. And if the temperature changes even a few degrees, all of those cycles will be disrupted and the capacity to generate the food that we need to fill, feed such a large population on this planet isn't going to happen. And then, then what do we do? In the West, of course, we have uh, so much more in the way of resources than they do in other parts of the world. Um, when that struggle comes for resources, uh, how will we respond to the, the suffering of the world that is unable to get those resources? So this is the, this area. Holding the suffering experience of all of us together just so that it can be in consciousness long enough so that we can then begin to examine what are the, the things that we can do in the circumstances that we're currently in that will then be useful in relieving the suffering condition of, of, of the planet. Um, So in this way of plan, uh, practicing for all sentient beings, um, it is an open-eyed, outwardly expansive practice. Christian. Uh, if I'm walking around and doing this and I'm for all sentient beings and, and I'm walking past people, is the idea that I'm not including them in any way in this or am I trying to hold hold still the mind state and and the sort of whole object, but have them at the same time. So it's kind of two well, things. They're, they're already included in everything. We don't need to make a special attention or a special focus on them because 
they're already in, in the picture with everyone. So it's outward and it's very expansive and you, you uh, pay attention to the mind's uh, tendency to contract around specific things. And then you, you push back into the expansion if you notice that the mind is beginning to contract. Is that making sense? I guess so. I guess I'm just wondering, like, am I, you know, am I this hermit that's trying to steer away from other people because they're going to be sort of a distraction to the wholeness of the experience or? Um... Well, um, conditions, of course, change momentarily, right? Each moment has a different set of conditions. And so if somebody were to, uh, address you specifically, then you would come out of the expansive meditation and address the situation and then return back to the technique rather than attempt to hold uh, the experience uh, of everyone and, and, and uh, not attend specifically to what's happening. But if you were simply walking down the street and nobody was particularly engaging you in any way, could you then hold the whole experience? Can you begin to imagine what your concern should be if you were to hold all of us together and we were a single group of uh, beings that needed some kind of attention? What, what attention would that be? Okay. Um, so this turning toward and then finding a way to be able to hold the intensity of suffering of all of us together in such a way that the mind uh, uh, reflexively disengages from it because it finds the experience overwhelming. So the Sayadaw's recommendation is this expansive energy. You just keep expanding outward in all 10 directions, this radiating compassion, and you don't allow the mind to narrow around specific suffering. Because if you do, it often overwhelms you and then you can't do the, the practice. Particularly if you, if you uh, let's say you decided uh, to miraculously stack up one person suffering after another until you'd stacked up an individual idea of everybody's suffering in the world. You, I mean, you couldn't do it, but uh, as a metaphor, at what point would you become overwhelmed after you consider 10 people suffering or 50 people or 1,000 people suffering? What point would that be too much? John? So this actually kind of hits pretty close where in the work that I do, it's kind of like the expansiveness of compassion is very sometimes easy, but what happens is when it becomes very personalized or a loved one where your ego starts to get in the way and you feel the pain of their suffering, but it's from an egotistical place, right? Mm -hmm. It's not actually coming from compassion, but fear. Right. So, so I think that, what was that? There's a sense of the potential of loss. Yes. And I think that that's most hard for me. So like resonating kind of with, with Christian saying, because I work in trauma, but you know, when working with trauma in a professional sense, it's kind of like, it's very easy to not disengage, but be compassionate without allowing the ego to come in. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's more of a state of a notch or no self. But then when the loved one comes in, it's like, oh my gosh, like it floods in you with all this pain and you try to help and then you end up pushing away. And that's a cycle that I 
get into where it's very easy to hold compassion for the world. However, loved ones, man, I'm, I'm running in the other direction, <laughs> you know? So if you have a little bit of insight on that, it would be great. Well, if somebody is suffering and they're needing proximity, uh, I would uh, look at it through the attachment lens. You have the attachment activation, the exploration activation, and the collaboration system, those three systems. What you would want to do is a, a quick inventory of the, the state of those systems. If somebody's activated and their attachment mechanism is on, that would mean that their, their exploration mechanism is off. They're not able to solve their problems because the attachment mechanism is on and the exploration mechanism is off. Then you'd have to evaluate whether their collaborative system was on or off. Most of the time it's on. And there's some cases where it turns off. Um, if their attachment mechanism is on, you don't have to solve the problem for them. You just have to get their attachment system to shut down so their exploration system could come back online. And then they would be capable of solving the problem. If, if you can't detect the, their collaboration system is online, then you, you have to help them get the collaboration system online. Because without the collaboration system being online, you can't help them. And so you would look at those things and see what the lay of the land is and then do the things that you can do which is get their attachment mechanism to settle because they feel connected and safe to get their exploration system to come on. Then you could encourage and support them to solve the problem. Uh, and then you could collaborate with them if the collaboration system was active. If they think that you're the cause of their attachment mechanism going off, then you can't address it through the attachment system. You have to address it through the collaboration system. So you did this to me, or you didn't do what you're supposed to, or all of that stuff is answerable by how are we going to figure this out? I recognize I have my part on this, but let's see if the two of us can't get together and solve it, rather than uh, feeling that you have to take it, take on. As long as their exploration system is off, they won't be able to really uh, even address it in a meaningful way, the, the solution. So that's the other thing to recognize. Are they uh, overwhelmed emotionally? Uh, if they're overwhelmed emotionally, it means that their cognitive system is off. So you have to see them clearly and come at them from this place of attempting to help them regulate their emotional states. As soon as their emotional states are regulated, of course, the cognitive system will go back online and then they'll be in a position to solve the problem themselves. And, and in none of those situations have you been necessary to really solve the problem. What you, what's been necessary for you to do is to help them emotionally regulate and to activate the exploration collaboration systems. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I don't wanna interrupt you. Uh, <clears throat> I was just going to ask uh, George then what, what does a secure attachment activation look like and what are the positive qualities of it? Like, because people, I mean, 
Yeah, that's my basic question. Like, how is a secure person's attachment activation or a person with a secure strategies, secure, uh, secure strategies activation, uh, what are the qualities of that that allow or facilitate the uh, more positive experience for that person rather than the, the opposite or the insecure strategies? So in a secure person, the attachment mechanism goes off and they experience it as longing. And they experience longing as a positive state. And it directs them to the people that they have relationships to who they know will help them. They go to those people with the expectation that those people will help them. And then those people help them. Wow. So a secure... The things that I just described. Okay, so a secure person or a secure strategies activation, what it activates is sort of like a sense of compassion or a sort a sense of metta or the sense of wanting to be connected, whereas yeah. an insecure strategy uh, is you know quite different than that. It is. If you're dismissing uh, the attachment mechanism goes off and you experience it as sadness or shame. Right. Because your expectation is that if you turn to somebody to help you, they'll humiliate you or reject you. Right. Wow. If you're preoccupied, uh, you feel it, you feel it as uh, guilt or shame, uh, fear or guilt. Fearfulness is that nobody will help you. Uh, and then uh, guilt that uh, you are bothering them or you're too much or you're too demanding. And then disorganized people, uh, when the uh, mechanism goes off, they experience it as uh, inviting somebody to abuse them. Hmm. So you, uh, the disorganized person really doesn't want the att uh, attachment mechanism that go goes off because it creates a, a, a impossible contradiction. They want to seek closeness to the attachment figure, but they think that if they get close to the attachment figure, the attachment figure will harm them. Wow. Well, you can see how the secure response is better. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Incredible. Hey, George. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'm a dismissive person by nature, but one of the things that I've benefited from is, well, even before I understood what that was, was um, recognizing that it didn't work. Uh, but when I look at, you know, society today, and one of the ways that I worked against it and, and you've helped a lot over the past couple of years, but uh, even before that meditation, and then, I don't know, I came across the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, who, and I, 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 I'm non-religious, but, um, you know, the, uh, the meditation for sentient beings and all those people, including, um, neo-nazis and uh you know the 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 folks that are 
encumbered with so much hate. Um, you know, what I've found helps me is, uh, is, is, is recognizing that there may be an opportunity to um, not pray as in, in quotation marks for, for more than the self. So uh -huh. to take it beyond the self. And, and you do that in a lot of the meditations. But, uh, you know, I wonder sometimes, uh, I'm, I'm just challenged with uh, the attachment theory, if it isn't too narcissistic, if it isn't too self-centered, that it isn't outward focused. You know, when you look back to the prayer of St. Francis and how it's about uh, being a part of someone's, uh, of, of uh, global peace and a global love, that maybe that is more productive. So a little bit of a long-winded, difficult question. <laughs> uh, so the attachment mechanism, it activates when there's the perception of danger and we seek the proximity to our, our, our tribe um, in that moment so that we can feel a sense of safety again. And then once the sense of safety uh, is reestablished, the attachment mechanism turns off, the exploration mechanism turns on, and then we go out into the, the, the world of people and, uh, and explore uh, and look for ways that we might find meaning in that. Um, I don't uh, necessarily see a contradiction to, to that uh, process uh, from what you said. Um, the dismissing um, mind state uh, is uh, self-oriented and inner-directed. And so it, ma it makes complete sense that the antidote to that then is to turn outward and include in the investigation the rest of the world and what's what's outside, um, but when we talk about this, really uh, holding the whole sense of the community of the world of all sentient beings together, uh, in some sense, is pushing against that um, uh, activation of uh, of the uh, attachment system. The attachment system is. Uh, activated and causes you to withdraw to the people that make you feel safe. <clears throat> we tend to then withdraw to uh, people who we, we identify as us and make everybody else other. And so one of the one of the mechanisms that happens in that constant sense of activation and and sense of danger is the, the us them. Uh, friend, enemy, a type of uh, really non-mentalizing that happens. And then what, what um, where we are then, of course, is this, this polarized division that happens. Um, you know, uh, facial recognition is a very intense uh, activity in the mind. It takes a lot of resources to do it. And um, 
if you don't learn facial recognition um, in uh, race groups outside of your own, you can't in some ways accurately distinguish uh, 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 faces across that line. Um, so one of the reasons why race is such an easy uh, source of division is that without those instructions, the attachment system goes off and everybody whose face you can't recognize and everybody whose uh, emotional representations in the face that you can't recognize becomes other. And then depending on how frightening it is in that internal world, uh, it, the hostility could be quite great. Is that making sense? Yeah, that's helpful, especially the mentalization piece. And then even, even just recent experience uh, with, uh, um, you know, hearing about stories of uh, Asian Americans getting attacked from behind and stabbed uh, with, with the perpetrator saying, I didn't like the way that person looked at me. Right. Um, you know, but yeah, from my perspective, it's, it's, the gap is the mentalization piece, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the mentalized collapses and then you're uh, in this very rigid place. Uh, Christian. So George, are you sort of positing that by doing a lot of this practice for all sentient beings, the effect might be that um, your attachment system might be harder to go off in general, that you're sort of building that buffer in. Because um, you were saying, you were saying that like, when your attachment system gets activated, you're sort of going to your people. Right. But if you stand your people to everyone, then well, to me, that sounds like the effect could be that you're, you wouldn't really sense danger that that much that your attachment mechanism wouldn't be tending to go off as much? Well, it wouldn't be uh, going off in such a way that it creates these arbitrary divisions between people. Um, I don't know that you want to, to uh, make yourself um, insensitive to danger that might be, you might be facing. But you also don't want to um, uh, make these really what are irrelevant distinctions um, when you're dividing the world up into us and them. So I guess, I don't know why, why I went to this idea, but it's not like you're eroding by practicing for all sentient beings. It's not like you're eroding the, the people that you know uh, emotionally regulate you. No. Okay. Um, you know, the mind can collapse around lots of different uh, subgroups for a lot of different reasons. And then this is really uh, this willingness to turn to the suffering of all of us, to, to begin to uh, hold all of us together. I think without being able to do that, uh, what, what will happen when we need to begin to make these global decisions about how to affect um, you know, with climate, it's a very different time in a way than uh, we've really ever faced, um, or at least 
recently enough for it to register in a way, the actions of all of us together are going to have an impact on all of us. This isn't going to land equally. You know, the United States has 5% of the world, but they're producing, what, 25% of the carbon? How are the, uh, the poorest 4 billion people going to be able to respond to the, the, the wealth of the 3 billion people? It's going to be, uh, if we aren't willing to, to do something about that, it's going to be a, an unprecedented slaughter of billions of people, which we will then watch on television, those of us who have the amount of affluence that we have that we're not going to be completely decimated by it. Jacqueline? I'm sorry. I think John had his hand up uh, before I did. Oh, you know what? Maybe I didn't put it down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to jump ahead. Um, I was just um, reflecting on what Christian was asking about about our the way our attachment styles and having and and holding compassion and you know when it's a good time to create space for yourself without feeling as though you're just blocking yourself off from people to keep yourself safe from the world. I think it's, I think um, if you look at it in a sense of like, like, you know, a, a no change, then it could seem that way, but life isn't that way. Life is always changing and our perspectives are always changing. And I think that the purpose for me anyhow the way I see it is that the meditation gives me, you know, cause we all have things that we've been through that are painful. And so has everybody else that we're interacting with. Everybody's been through something painful in their life. And that's where some of our love tends to, for one another, tends to get blurred, but you know, we're all flawed. So <laughs> it's part of life. And so if we take the time to meditate and retract, um, and slow down, you know, and meditate and think, you know, really pay attention to your cues, the inside, the outside, etc. Then you can gain a different perspective. So maybe you, you know, when you're focusing on the compassion for another, you can see that person in a different way that, that you hadn't seen it before. If you put kind of yourself into their uh, suffering, then you could say, oh, wow, that person went through X, Y, Z, or, you know, I can't even go into that detail. It just changes your perspective. And then maybe next time, if you see them differently, maybe you even see yourself differently, then, then perhaps you will build that stability to be able to be that person for them to explore, to open up the exploration part for them. But if you can't, then, you know, as uh, Mr. Haas has always said, you know, it doesn't make any sense for you to go in if you're going to collapse and then they're going to collapse and people are just hurting each other. So, you know, hopefully you can gain a different perspective and enter that space and, and it, you know, and be stronger or see it different, not stronger, but you see it differently and then you're not going to collapse. But if you can't, then you just need to continue meditating. And sometimes maybe you never should go into that space with that person. Um, you just kind of have to feel it out. 
as things as you know life goes about and changes but i do i think ideally you'd gain some sort of new perspective so that you can heal yourself and the people around you and that's kind of how i see it yeah or hold the space until they come back online and can then solve the issues that they have that's how i really see it mainly um all right, so uh, why don't we do some meditation? Yeah, I just had a quick kind of reflection on that. It seems what's really cool about, you know, kind of equally giving out compassion to like the, the standard of we, right, as community, it takes off a lot of the pressure of feeling like enough for one. Um, but then, so my thought is though, it's like, that's how we get closer to like, you know, the three marks of existence. It gets us closer to enlightenment, but I still have this frightening feeling that I'm not gonna get close to like one person or start a family, right? And that's been something that's been really freaking me out about the closer that we get towards this practice that, I mean, and I know you and I have talked about it for years is this quest for enlightenment or to become you know more like a bodhisattva right where it's like you give this well of compassion because you want that but then at the same time there's this utter loneliness in which like i still want to start a family or i still want to be with one person or or at least a core tribe of people and it's like sometimes i feel like the compassion for others can feel like i'm detaching even though it's very peaceful at the same time, there's like this feeling of detachment, like I'm going to float away and it's like exciting. And at the same time, I'm scared shitless, you know? Um, so any comments on that would be great. Um, so you're slipping in at, toward the near enemy of, of compassion, which is sort of sympathy. Compassion is an engaged, empathetic experience. And sympathy, of course, is an internal auto-regulating experience. It's more cognitive than feeling. Um, and so we want to do, we do want to push into that. But the piece about the, the connecting to other people and that, maybe the focus should shift more toward the attachment work. Um, I know that uh, for uh, years, I mean, 15 years, I had this ongoing conversation with Shinzen about having to address all of these issues that prevent uh, a, a sense of meaning in, in relationship to other people. And he said, just get enlightened. But uh, um, after about 15 years, he changed his mind and said that it may be necessary to actually do the interpersonal work as part of this, because he was noticing that even though people were uh, becoming, uh, uh, you know, really far along the path, it wasn't resolving any of those issues. And so uh, the focus is uh, on uh, really examining the conditioning and the limitations that the conditioning imposes on you from uh, different angles so that you can see it clearly and then also understanding what has to be done to resolve it. Um, I know that in the West uh, in particular, there, 
very highly regarded teachers who uh, uh, rage at students and slam doors. And it's just so disconcerting that they're just completely overwhelmed by these eruptions of anger and respond with cruelty. Uh, and yet they, they uh, are, have the reputation of having deep insight into the nature of things. That's kind of how I would respond. Come along on the attachment ride with us, John. We'd love to have you. <laughs> no, no, no. It's absolutely that. You know, I, I've, that's the thing. It's funny. It's like, you know, this quest of feeling, it's almost a sense of full compassion, full detached. And you're like, wait, that's not secure in any sense, right? What we want to do is we want to be able to trust, accept, and let go of almost everything and everyone and allow them to explore in us as well. But at the same time, it's like in the West, we're very like, we clamp down when we're afraid. Yeah. And I know, you know, more in like Southeast Asia, Asia, it's almost like letting go, an unbelievable sense of letting go, knowing that whether or not you come back, I still love you. Right. And I don't think we understand that here. I don't. You know, I was raised here, so I don't. <laughs> What is it? Uh, you love them, let them go. And if they don't come back, hunt them down and kill them. <laughs> good. I guess love them anyways, you know? <laughs> All right. Um, so it, George, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just have a super quick question. I've been, sure. thinking, been racking my brain about just about the collaborative piece, I know you mentioned that you have this uh, orientation towards the, the specific framework of the Bauman A, B, and C thing. And I've just been racking my brain and searching online to try and find what is that. Could you just give me a little reference point towards it so I could Google stuff on my own like that? Robin Dunbar, I think, might help. Oh, I'm sorry. Repeat that? Dunbar. Dunbar. D-A-N-B-A-R, Robin Dunbar. Okay, Robin Dunbar, that okay. I solve it. <laughs> All right, thank you, thank you very much. That's it. Um, let's see. We're gonna do a day long on compassion. So uh, this particular subject, we're gonna do a day long on. So we can sit for the whole day and practice and we'll go through the various, uh, we'll go through a whole cycle of compassion in one day. Um, I'm going to do a, a, a level one starting in, in July. There's a summer retreat in June. We just put the whole second year calendar up. So it will be showing up on the, on the website. We're going to start a level, a new level two in September. And then um, we're going to do a, a, a Dharma maps series in the fall. So if you're interested in the Mahasi map, or the Mahasi commentary on the 16 stages map of the Theravada system. We're gonna go through that uh, toward the end of the year. And then in December, we'll have our uh, year-end retreat. We have the possibility of doing it in person, but um, I think that uh, with the way things are going, it's more likely gonna be virtual. But then by next, maybe the summer after this one, we'll be back and able to do in-person retreats. 
Um, I offer the teachings freely, um, but I do hope that you'll make a donation to support me and also to support the work Meta Group is doing. There's a link on the website to make a donation, or if you got an email about the class, there's a link in the, the class typically. Uh, thank you so much for coming, and we'll, we'll see you uh, on the path somewhere soon, I hope. Thank you, George. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, George. Hello, George. George, I, do, I just want to share with you, thank you so much for this practice. I, I, did I did have some enlightenment. I had a little shift in paradigm and I just saw every single one of us is suffering. Every, you know, yeah. I just saw a whole world of sufferers and, and then it just put us all on the same platform. Every single one of us is in pain. And, and then I kind of zoomed in on different people around the world, different examples of suffering. And then it almost, it made me see, it made me have more compassion for myself and that I, you kind of try, you, we're all connected. So we're taking on all these people's problems, right. even though we're not thinking about it in the back of our head. So if we can just, in, instead of holding that frustration and have compassion for them, constantly and ourselves constantly then then you can have that you know better connection with the higher power so thank you very much that that really changed my perspective thank Good. you thank you for coming bye bye, -bye.